week you live in a money pit. Money pit. If your basement needs a pump, or your place looks like a dump, you live in a money pit. Money pit. Pick up the telephone, fix up your home sweet home. I call an eight 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 money pit. The money pit is presented by Home Advisor. Now here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And what are you doing on this warm August weekend? If you are thinking about working on a project around your house, I'd recommend you work inside your house with your AC on because it's <laughs> Very getting true. ridiculously hot unless you start at the you know super early part of the morning. You can get something done. I went out to the gym today and, and I was out of the house about 6 a.m. and I saw there was a guy trimming his uh, bushes at uh, about 6.15 in the morning. I'm like, that guy's smart. He got up early to get this yeah, done. Except because the neighbors are mad. It actually was electric shears. It wasn't really that wasn't bad. Too no, but I mean, you know, by the time it gets to around eight or nine o'clock, it's almost too hot to do those outside projects. But if you've got a project that you're doing or planning to do and you've got questions, well, that's why we're here. We're here to help cheer you on, give you some tips, some advice on how to get it done as easy as possible. But you've got to help yourself first by calling us at one eight 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 Money Pit or posting your question to MoneyPit.com. Coming up on today's show, if you've been enjoying a garden harvest this summer and you'd like to extend that goodness all year long, preserving your fresh veggies is the best way to do just that. We're going to walk you through three options for preserving your harvest in just a bit. And it's a great time of year for outdoor projects if you want to step up your space. We've got some tips on the easiest and most affordable ways that you can create grill surrounds, fire pits, benches, all these wonderful outdoor projects simply by stacking blocks. And with all of the water that we're spraying on our sidewalks or splashing over the pool edges, sidewalks and patios can get pretty slippery. But if you treat those spaces with a simple coating, you can definitely increase the safety factor. We're going to have tips on how to apply that coating and get those surfaces protected in a bit. But first, the Money Pit is all about what you guys are working on. So give us a call. Let us know what projects are happening at your house. And we'll give you a hand. We're happy to hear all about it. We even want to see photos. So don't forget to post them on Money Pit's Facebook page. Just get to us. We'd love to lend a hand. 888-666-3974. Let's get to it. Leslie, who's first? Don in Illinois is on the line with the foundation question. What's going on at your Money Pit? Yes, uh, I've got an old farmhouse. He started building them back in 1800s. And the foundation is red brick on a crawl space, and it's sinking in one area real bad. And I had a guy tell me that I, because I can't dig a footings here, because there's an old cistern back here also, he said that I could build, pour a large pad, go underneath the house, and come out and make it like a sidewalk along the edge of the house, and then pour actually pour the wall up as high as I could and then possibly either put, as a last row, a block in. Is that possible to do something like that? Maybe. Maybe not. (laughs) You know, you're talking about a major structural piece of work here, Don. And the problem with this is, I'm going to presume you're not a licensed structural engineer. If you start doing this kind of work on your own, and then, you know, sometime in the future, you want to sell this house and you've not had the right kind of professionals involved in this kind of a major repair, that's going to be a huge red flag. That could make it very difficult for you to sell the house. I spent 20 years as a professional home inspector, Don, and when I saw houses like this that had these kinds of issues, I always recommended that the homeowner spend a little bit of money to have an engineer look at it 
and design a specific repair for that situation. Because this way, when you go to sell the house and if it becomes an issue, you can show that you had a professional review it and tell you exactly what to do. Uh, and then you took action on that, and you can even have them come back and sort of certify that it was done right. Then you end up having sort of a pedigree on the quality of that repair, because this is not something to do yourself and get wrong. You could make it worse, and you can devalue your house in a very major way. Well, that's why I was kind of wondering. It sounded kind of far-fetched to me in a way, and I was just like, well, I've been listening to you guys a I'm going to give it a shot, give you a call, see what you guys got to say. Yeah, we're glad you did, and, and, and that will get you on the road to recovery, okay? Okay. I know a couple engineers. I'll see if I can get one out here. I appreciate the information. You're welcome, Don. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Judy in Missouri is on the line with a roofing question. How can we help you today? Yes, I was wondering if you had ever heard of, uh, had a roof repair a few years ago, and it's been leaking ever since. They used what they called TAM shield. It's a synthetic underlayment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's plastic. And uh, they use that instead of felt paper. Yeah, right. It's synthetic. And it's actually an upgrade to standard 15 pound felt paper. Um, and it's actually better than using standard felt paper uh, under a roof. The reason that your roof is leaking now is probably not because of the TAM shield. It's probably because of something that went wrong with the repair. But I don't think it would have been the underlayment because that's actually pretty good stuff. How is it leaking, Judy? Tell, tell me about the leak. Well, we really don't know. It, it comes through in our bathroom and we get up in the attic and we can see drips but they can't seem to pinpoint it. They've worked on it several times, and they just can't get it to go away. Right. Usually if your roof is leaking above your bathroom, there's a pipe that goes through the ceiling right there and up through the roof, and it's the plumbing vent pipe. And right around that vent pipe, there's like a rubber boot that seals that pipe uh, between the, the, the pipe and the roof itself, and then there's flashing that goes around that. That's the most common place for a roof leak, when you have it leak right above a bathroom. And a lot of times, contractors will try to sort of tar that in place, but that's a bad idea. What I would reply, what I would recommend is to take out the plumbing vent flashing, uh, and you can do that easily by removing a few shingles in that area. Roof shingles are actually pretty easy to disassemble if you know kind of a trick of the trade. I like to do it with a flat bar that you can slip up under the roof shingle, find the nail, and sort of pry it from side to side, and it'll pop right out. And then you replace that plumbing vent flashing uh, and put it back together again and make sure you put everything in the right order so it, it, the roofing lays on top of the flashing. Um, that usually stops that leak. But, you, but leave the vent pipe there? Oh, yeah. The vent pipe uh, is, is there for an important reason. You're going to start having problems flushing your toilet and all your sinks are going to start to gurgle if you take that out. But replace the plumbing vent flashing there, okay? Okay. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome, Judy. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. James in Virginia is on the line with a ceiling fan question. What's going on at your money pit? I live in a 1986 two-story ranch, and we do not have overhead lighting in any of the bedrooms, and there's no there's no lighting fixtures, and we want to add ceiling fans. So I was wondering how difficult it would be to do that in, in the bedrooms. It's not terribly difficult, but it's not terribly easy either. I would say that it would be very easy for an electrician to do that because they have the tools necessary to get the wiring where it needs to go. It's kind of hard for a DIYer to do that. And the other important thing about a ceiling fan is you need to make sure you use the right type of uh, electrical um, connection in that ceiling so that you have some support 
on that fan because it gets very heavy and it also vibrates sometimes. So you need to have the right connection for the fan to the ceiling. And of course, the wiring has to be in place. Now, electricians can uh, fish wires through there. There's a couple of tricks of the trade that they use. They have these sort of long, skinny fiberglass rods that can be run in the space between ceiling joists to run wires where they need to be. Um, But what I would do is if you're thinking about maybe doing this in a couple of rooms, I would sort of pile those jobs together because there's a sort of a mobilization cost when you hire a pro for a small project like that and maybe try to get all of your electrical work done at the same time. Now, with a 1986 house, you might also want to find out if you've got ground fault circuit interrupters protecting uh, the bathroom and the kitchen outlets. That would be another easy thing to add uh, to uh, that to-do list that will protect you from, from shocks. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your help, and I love your show. Listen to it all the time. Yeah, good luck with that project and with all the work you're doing to your new house. Call us back anytime. 888-666-3974. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, if you've been enjoying a garden harvest this summer, now really is a good time to learn about ways that you can preserve those veggies into the cold weather ahead. And there are three ways that you can do that. Now, First of all, the most simple method is to simply freeze your harvest. Now, you might have to have a big freezer or perhaps a second one, depending on how big of a haul you've gardened this season. But when you're doing something, you need to think about the taste preference when it comes to freezing a vegetable over, you know, canning it or just eating it fresh. So now, frozen corn definitely tastes different than canned corn. And all you need to do to freeze these veggies is a pot to blanch that veggie in, freezer bags or even a freezer container, and And you can look online to find different times for blanching those fruits and vegetables because it's a certain amount of time for each kind. But we could go on forever as to that. So you can just Google a, a chart there. Now, the next way to preserve is called canning. And canning food preservation involves basically preserving food in jars with special lids. Uh, Getting started is pretty simple. Most people are going to start out with water bath canners and canning high-acid foods like pickles and salsas and jellies and jams. Low-acid foods like green beans, corn, soup, or meats require a pressure canner, so there's a little bit more of an investment in equipment. But uh, neither method is hard. It just takes some getting used to and understanding the differences between the high and the low acid foods. Now, another option is dehydrating the food. Now, dehydration of fruits and vegetables really is a great way to preserve them, and it helps you save space. Now, when you dehydrate food, it's going to shrink, and then you can store it in an airtight container. The thing you have to remember, though, is you need to rehydrate that vegetable with water when you're ready to use them, and then you're good to go. And you can use your oven, but to do it right, you really do need a dehydrator, which isn't too expensive because it's really all about a lower temperature at a consistent amount of time and removing the moisture, which you can get in your oven, but it's, you know, it takes a little practice. Yeah. You know, and once you start canning and freezing and, and uh, branch out, you can be on the basics. You could do soups and meatballs and chili and chicken. I'll tell you what we're going to give a try this year, and that is uh, tomatoes. We have an abundance, make a abundance of tomatoes. I'm not quite sure what 
products we're going to do, probably sauce, maybe some salsa with the tomatoes. But, you know, we planted the tomatoes with the idea being that they would sort of come in slowly across the season. But now, once again, we've got like a huge harvest. They're growing everywhere now. And uh, we're just starting to get used to eating them. So we're going to end up with a ton of tomatoes. I hate to throw them away. And I have been given a lot away, and I've done that in past years. But I think we're going to try to canning now because we're spending so much more time at home. It might be the right time to do just that. Yeah. So we have some good friends in town who are Italian and grow a ton of tomatoes. And at the end of every summer, they have a big pasta sauce making party. And, you know, if you're invited over to go, you assist in all of the process of making the sauce, jarring it, preserving it. I mean, it's an all day affair with the biggest pot I've ever seen in my life to make sauce. And it's all outside. But the bonus is if you volunteer for the day, essentially, you go home with a bunch of sauce. You take home so your sauce? it's totally worth it. <laughs> awesome. Of course, you know, if it was my Italian family, there'd be like 30 people in the kitchen, and we can't do that anymore. So I'm afraid it's no, going to do, be... A, it's outside. Oh, it's outside. We've always done it outside I at see. our friend's house. They put a big burner outside with like the hugest... Pop. But you got to maintain your uh, social distances, you know, family gatherings or not. But good tip. Really fun thing to try. And uh, if you've enjoyed having a garden, so many more folks have been gardening this year and finding other ways to improve their home spaces. Canning is definitely the next step. Linda in Ohio, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today? Well, I had an old garage torn down. So I had a prior cement pad and I had a steel building put up. I have gaps now from... The steel building is not, um, the metal is more like a corrugated. It's got a little ripple in it. And where it meets the floor, and they put a, like, two-by-four base around the inside to screw the metal to it. Well, I'm getting chipmunks in there and everything like that in between. What can I use to seal it but still keep it so when the cold weather comes, expands like it needs to. You must be having some pretty big gaps there if the chipmunks are getting into that. Yeah. (laughs) How much space are we talking about? Some spots it's not very big at all, but some it's like maybe two or three inches high. Oh, wow. Because the the cement pad was not really leveled or throughout the years, too, it could have sunk down in certain areas. I don't know whether to put, like, another board. Yeah, so, so listen, if you've got two or three inches of gaps, you're going to have to add some additional sort of siding-type materials to cover that gap. You could actually use additional galvanized metal and form it to uh, to fit in that space. If you have smaller gaps, those could be filled with, say, spray foam insulation, or you could use steel wool. Sometimes when we're trying to plug up little gaps, especially when it comes to rodent prevention, uh, I'll have folks put steel wool in there that they're not apt to uh, to chew through. But you can't have a gap that big and not expect uh, those types of animals to get by. Awesome. I'll try that. The steel wool and the foam. <laughs> Good luck with that project, Linda. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. David in Massachusetts is on the line and is installing an outdoor shower to a deck. How can we help you? We're having a, a raised deck put on the back of our home. It's going to be about 22 inches off the ground. And it's going to be 12 by 30-ish. Anyhow, there's going to be a shower uh, along the, about halfway down the length. And it'll up, be up against the house. 
and I was kind of curious whether the water is just going to go through the floorboard. It's a, a, a Azac material, so it's not going to rot anything, but uh, and pressure-treated floor joists. So the bottom of the floor joists will be about 10, 12 inches off the, off the ground, and I didn't know whether the water coming from the shower going down uh, should be diverted away from the house a little bit, or if it doesn't matter. So is this going to be kind of like a beach shower, you know, just for like sort of quick showering off when you come back from uh, the beach or the lake? Correct. So, I mean, you're not going to be taking real long showers out there. Uh, certainly the deck's going to be slippery because of this, but underneath what you might want to do is just put in um, a drain using sort of a stone base and then a perforated drain pipe and then run that, pitch that up away from the house so the water that gets in there doesn't end up back into the basement or crawl space, depending on what your structure is. But I, since you're not putting a lot of water there, I wouldn't worry too much about it. I think generally those outside showers are pretty quick. Is it going to be like a like a, like a a shower stall or is it just going to be an open shower you're going to stand on the deck and wash off? No, it's a shower Stall. Actually, there'd be a little dressing area and a little shower area. Yeah, if you're going to do that, why don't you just put a drain in it? I mean, if you're going to go with the whole stall, I thought it was just going to be kind of a shower sticking out of the back wall of the house. Put a drain in it and run the pipe under the deck and just just charge it away from the house somewhere. Uh, are you talking about putting like a shower floor in? Yeah, yeah, pan, a shower pan. Yep. If it's going to have a stall, you might as well have a pan. Sit it right on top of the of the uh, of the deck and then put a drain in it and run it right out. That's what I'd do. Okay. It may be a little late for that now <laughs> because they've already got all the, all the joists are in place and we're ready for the... Uh... Well, no, it, it, the joists are in place. That's okay because it's going to sit on top. Um, so that shouldn't affect anything. You know, just a little bit of plumbing work is what you need here. All right. Well, I can discuss it with the contractor. All right. Good luck. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. Steve in Pennsylvania needs some help with a building project. I love that you're planning and you've asked us to help. What's going on, Steve? Yeah, I have a small uh, summer cabin at Lake Tahoe, and the deck was built in the early 60s. And the step up from the deck into the cabin is a stretch. So I was wanting to put like a stoop or a a landing or step or whatever you want to call it uh, on top of the deck that will make the step up into the cabin a little less severe. So I was looking at maybe something about 54 inches wide and six to seven inches tall but I didn't I don't know how deep to make that uh, step when you say deep to make the step you mean what's the like what's the tread depth when you put your foot on it exactly so what are you going to build it out of I was just going to put in wood everything else is wood up there so I would just use I would use a two by 12 for that step why not make it a nice big deep step you could use a 2 by 10 I mean, most steps are narrower than that, but I, I, I think a 2 by 12 which is 11 and a half inches, would be fine. So 12 inches deep from the edge of the cabin door to the edge of the deck. So it's just one step, basically, between the deck and the cabin door. Is that correct that you want to put in? Right. So I would make it a 2 by 12 Why not? It's about 11 and a half inches deep, and that'll be fine. Well, thank you very much for your help. You have a great day. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? 
Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Well, if you'd like to improve your outdoor space by adding an outdoor kitchen, a fire pit, a grill enclosure, planters, or even a bench, there's a really easy way that you can do that, and it's by using a product called Rumblestone. Now, Rumblestone is made by Pavestone, and they're rustic-looking stones that come in project kits, and you simply stack them together like, you know, a Lego project in a predetermined pattern to build all sorts of popular outdoor features. Now, the idea of using a modular block design makes it fast and affordable for you to upgrade your backyard space with amenities like an outdoor kitchen, a fire pit, a bench, and they can be truly beautiful. And you can also use them in place of a traditional paver to do a project like a patio or even a wall or a landscape border. Yeah, I love the Rumblestone design. It's a really attractive addition to your outdoor living space. And if you'd like to learn about projects like this, there's even a step-by-step video of a beautiful outdoor kitchen. It's topped with a quickcrete concrete countertop and it's available online. Just uh, Google Rumblestone BBQ Project, Rumblestone BBQ Project. You'll find it right away, and you'll get those instructions. And if you'd like to learn a little bit more about all the projects that you can build with Pavestone's Rumblestone, visit pavestone.com and look for the Rumblestone videos under the How-To Guide tab. Margaret, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today? Yes, I'd like to know what I can do about my popcorn ceilings. They're getting dirty. They're 20 years old. Well, there's a couple of solutions. Do you like them and want to keep them, or you just want them to not look so dingy? Um, I would not rather, I would not like to keep them no more. All right. Well, generally with popcorn ceiling, if it's truly a popcorn ceiling and not like a texturized stucco, what you can do to remove it is you can get like, you know, one of those garden sprayers or like, you know, those light duty paint sprayers, put water in it. And you spray the ceiling to sort of saturate the popcorn. And then you take a wide spackle blade, like a as wide as the one you can find. And you sort of gently start peeling away at the popcorn ceiling, at the popcorn texture, I should say, from the ceiling. And that generally does a pretty good job. Because if you've ever tried to paint it, if you don't have the right roller, when it gets wet, it starts to peel away from the ceiling. So by getting it wet, you're being able to remove it. You just want to make sure with your blade or your scraper that you're not digging into the drywall below it because keep in mind whatever's left underneath there is what you're going to paint and then see. Okay. Uh, how do I go about cleaning if I decide to go, just go ahead and keep this? Well, you wouldn't clean it. You would paint over it. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Yeah. There's actually a special roller for that. It's like a slitted roller. It's a very thick roller that's got slits in it. And it's designed to uh, squeeze the paint into that popcorn area. And that's exactly what I would do with it. I would paint it. It's going to look a lot better than cleaning it. You just can't clean that stuff. There's nothing cleanable about a popcorn ceiling. you got to paint over it. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Heading to Nebraska now where Ellie's on the line with a window question. What can we do for you today? I'm replacing a window in the lower level of our home, and I was wondering if you had an opinion as to what would be the best material for the window. Vinyl, wood, composite. What kind of a window do you have there now? Is it a standard sort of double-hung window? Um, no, it's actually five windows in one. It's nine foot by oh, three foot. Oh, that's a big foot. job, yeah. My first point would be that you need to make sure you're buying an energy-efficient window because with a space that big, you want to make sure that you're using um, well-insulated glass. So I would only buy one that was Energy Star rated. And you want to make sure that the glass is going to have a low emissivity coating or low E coating because what that does is that reflects the sunlight back out so it doesn't overheat your house. Otherwise, you're going to heat that space up like a big old greenhouse with a nine-foot window. Um, 
In terms of the material itself, I think outside the house, you want something that's very, very weatherproof, like vinyl. And inside the house, depending on the window you buy, it can be wood or it could be vinyl. So if you look at a window like an Anderson window, they have beautiful windows that are wood on the inside uh, and vinyl on the outside kind of gives you the best of both worlds. But again, there are many different types of manufacturers out there. The most important thing is not as much the material, but the certification to make sure that it's an efficient window that's going to perform well for you and last a long, long time. We will look for those energy ratings then. All right, good luck. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Kevin in Rhode Island has a question about keeping a basement dry. What can we do for you? I removed a downspout extension that took the water away maybe three feet from the foundation. Okay. And I replaced it because someone said it didn't look good. I replaced it with, with a cement kind of water carrier wave, which is two feet. And uh, I noticed I have some water in the basement. So it's uh, very damp. It's damp is what it is. Yeah. So I put a little crushed rock at the end of the extension, hoping that that would maybe uh, help out on the water dispersing down or something. Yeah, that's not going to do anything except prevent erosion. If you want to make your basement drier, you got to move the moisture away from it. You were, you were on the right track with the downspout extension. Now, if you don't want to see that, you might want to explore the possibility of running your leader into a solid PVC pipe and running that underground but it has to be pitched and then discharged somewhere. So it depends on kind of the shape of your property as to whether or not you could make that happen. But uh, I would rather see those downspouts extended away from the foundation wall than deal with the water that can accumulate in the basement as a result. Good idea. All right, Kevin, good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Well, just imagine that you're walking into your house from the driveway or up the sidewalk. And of course, as we all do, your hands are full. You've got kids' backpacks or groceries. Everything's in your arms. You're just overloaded. And then, bam, you slip and fall with the kids' stuff and the eggs and the milk. Now it's all over the sidewalk. You know, concrete surfaces do get slippery. And I'm not talking about only in the winter months. They often get covered with a thin layer of moss or algae in the summertime that makes them super slippery and even so all year round. And that's why we've got tips on how to update your sidewalks and driveways to make those services slip resistant in today's pro project presented by HomeAdvisor.com. Well, to cut the chances of tumbling on your own turf, you can have a pro apply a treatment that's designed to prevent falls to those concrete surfaces. Now, it's called a textured acrylic concrete coating, and it not only provides a non-slip finish to those concrete surfaces, it does give it a new look finish, you know, changing it from that dull old concrete as well. Yeah, the textured acrylic concrete coating is actually a very heavy-duty resin that adheres very well to any concrete surface. So we're talking about steps or sidewalks or patios or driveways or pool surrounds. And if your home has a handicap ramp, it's a great way to improve the safety of that surface as well. And that's today's pro project presented by HomeAdvisor. They really have the best local pros for any home service. That's right. It doesn't matter what the project is. They make it fast and easy to find top local pros for your project. Plus, now they offer clear upfront pricing on over 100 everyday projects. To get started, just download the HomeAdvisor app today. Jeff in Wisconsin, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today? I'm wanting to add some insulation to the attic of my old, old house that I just bought last year. And I don't know which uh, way I should go with either the the loose fill or the bath. Um, I want to do it myself to save money. But the, the loose fill, 
uh, I'm kind of uncomfortable with all the the weird conduits and outlet boxes and stuff that are up there in the attic. It's a walk-up attic, and we have a little bit of storage area up there. I don't know if um, if stapling the uh, the rolls up against the roof is. I don't know what's going to give me the best R value and time value and uh, money value, obviously. For all right, so first of all, let's talk about where the insulation goes. This attic is unfinished, correct? It's not a sleeping space. Is yeah. It? So the attic does not, the insulation in this case does not go up against the rafters. The attic, the insulation goes on the floor, uh, what you would call the floor of the attic when you're standing in it. Now, is, okay. there, is there a wood floor across the entire attic surface now? Not the entire attic, no. It's, there's not. So it's open beams there, right? You can look down into the, see the ceiling below? Uh, no, it's, uh, it's got um, the rolls in between there. But like I said, we have a storage area, which is the center of it, that has plywood down on top. Okay, that's actually perfect. So here's what I think you should do. I would buy unfaced fiberglass bats. And just like the word says, unfaced means no paper face, no um, you know vapor barrier face. It's just plain old fiberglass bats. Now, you lay these down perpendicular to the floor joists. So... Not not parallel to, but perpendicular. And you would lay these across the entire attic floor, except for the area that you want to reserve for storage. So this is an easy way to kind of say double or more than double the amount of insulation that's there, um, but, but still saving that storage space. Because once you put this down, it's actually going to be higher than the thickness of the floor joists. And you can't crush insulation. If you crush it, it doesn't work. So that's why it has to sit on top. So if you were to put like 10 or 12-inch bats down like that, you would have a dramatic increase in energy efficiency. Oh, that's not a bad idea. I like that. Okay. Great. Thanks so much for your help. You're very welcome, Jeff. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Pit. Charles from Long Beach, New York, has written in who says, I live in a barrier island sandbar. The house was built on a cement slab. Now the slab is cracked and has resulted in an uneven floor peaking in the middle at some points. What options do I have? Well, if you live on a barrier island, on I mean, Tom, house, this area was like devastated from Sandy, yeah, so he's probably on all new build, and who knows what happened to the ground. Well, we don't know that it's a new build. I mean, it may be the old build. And the thing is that with that kind of uh, with soil, you've got to be built on, it's got to be a, a pier system that's reinforced. So the even if it's a slab on grade, which I doubt, it's got to have a pier system. So the concrete isn't basically sitting on the soil. It's being supported by pilings that are in the soil. If it's an old house, yeah, I mean, you may be in that situation, but anything that's rebuilt would be up. I, I tell you, in this case, regardless of Charles, I would definitely have an expert look at it because I can't give you advice only to say that that is a big concern when you're in an unstable soil area like I believe you are. So I would hire one one of maybe three different professionals. A structural engineer would be my first choice, a very experienced local professional home inspector would be my second choice, and then maybe an architect would be my third. But you need expert advice to figure out what's going on with this place. Not all cracks require replacement or repair, but you need to know what you're, what you're dealing with now so you can plan accordingly. Yeah, and Charles, make sure you do it because you live in like a slice of paradise on Long Island, and I'm not far from you, and I tend to come to your neighborhood because I love it so much. So fix it up and stay forever. No, there's a fourth choice. She could always invite you to come over. True, true, true.
Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, temperatures may be nice now, but in a few months, you'll want nothing less than to have to bundle up, head outdoors, and deal with a home improvement problem in the dead of winter. To help, we've got a few easy fix-ups you can get done now that'll save you potentially a major repair hassle later, and that's coming up in today's edition of Leslie's Last Word. Something must have to do with water here. Well, I mean, of course, <laughs> leaks are probably the worst. You know, a water leak emergency like pipes that freeze and break are very common when it's cold out, so now is the time that you need to locate and label all all of those important water valves. And that includes the main water valve, your water heaters valve, and hose and ice maker valves. Now, knowing where those are and what they do will spare you major damage and hassle if cold weather strikes. Next, you've got to make sure that your roof is leak-free. You know, after the next big fall rainstorm, grab a flashlight, Head up into the attic and inspect areas around your chimney, plumbing, vent pipes, anything that sort of goes out through the roof or where sections of the roof meet up. Make sure, look there, that there's no leaks happening. Then go ahead and grab some binoculars and inspect all of those same spots from on top, scanning also for missing shingles, loose flashing, anything that might need to be replaced. Next up, you want to look at handrails. Go around the house, any sort of handrail that's loose, that can actually result in an emergency. So you want to make sure that inside and outside handrails are secure. Repair any loose railings, posts, spindles. You have to make sure that all of those pieces are extra sturdy if outdoors, because when the condition gets icy, it can really cause some trouble. Also, think about your chimney. You want to caulk that chimney crown. It's a masonry coating that goes over the top of the chimney, and it can protect against water, which is extra risky over these winter months when it can cause chimney bricks and structures to freeze, break, and even fall. So some prep work now is going to save you a lot in the long run. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show coming up next time on the program with the garage getting so much wear and tear, it makes sense to get the floors a protective coating that can do double duty and also beautify the space. But what options do you have to create a floor that looks good, stands up, and is stain resistant? We'll have those answers on the very next edition of the Money Pit. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. You live in a Money Pit.